Good morning, everybody. And good morning, you down there. Good to see you. <laughs> Great to be with you. It's a delight to come out the back. And we were saying as we drove along uh, the front here, it was uh, 42 years ago that we lived in this manse. And uh, I remember taking our children who were down here at that stage along in the winter, seeing their white horses up there, really exciting and invigorating in that. So uh, it's just a delight to be here. If I had a delight to be anywhere at my age, so it's wonderful, isn't it? Isn't God gracious, you know, when you're over the three score year and ten, it's a delight to be anywhere. And so we open our eyes in the morning, thank the Lord for that. And uh, I'm excited. I'm, uh, somebody said to me uh, a few weeks ago, you know, you always seem to be when you, when you share, David, uh, excited. I said, well, I am excited because there's yet more to come, you know, and, and for us as Christians, it's promotion all the time. You know, it's, you know, people tend to think, well, I'm getting older and that sort of thing. And I know, and I, I'm not being silly about this in the sense of, uh, you know, when our bodies start to fail, it is a challenge. And I do understand that. But ultimately, in our spirit, it's promotion. You know, and ultimately, the, uh, the promotion that God's got in store for us. So when I was here uh, two or three months ago, um, I um, started just to share some thoughts with you about the Lord's Prayer, which I uh, felt God has been putting on my heart, really, over the, uh, uh, the lockdown period. And um, as, I, as I shared, I said, actually, I think I've got 18 to 20 sermons that have come out of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, Michael, very sharp young man there, very sharp young man there, he says, so that means you've got some other things to share. So it wasn't long after that before he said, will I come back again? And I do want to share with you today. It's not I'm, I'm sharing through the Lord's Prayer in, in, a, in an orderly way, if I can put it like that. It's uh, different concepts that the Lord has brought to my heart as I pray through it. And uh, pretty soon after Michael had contacted me again, I knew exactly uh, what I wanted to share this morning when I felt the Lord was like leading me into. And it wasn't actually till a little bit after that that I realised as, uh, as we mentioned earlier, I think, that today is Advent Sunday. You know, uh, come on, it's Advent Sunday. He's coming back. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, and this is what I want you to, to grasp as we share this morning, that not just uh, the, the fact that we're entering into Advent, but we're entering into something which should be a huge expectation and excitement for everyone who names the name of Jesus. Anybody in here who names the name of Jesus? Oh, a few hands only went up. If you didn't see the next person put their hand up, pray for them. Right, okay. We, we are expecting Jesus, right? Yes, not just within the context of his first coming in the incarnation. Wonderful that is. I love Christmas and everything about it. I love the carols. It's always been something which I've enjoyed. I love family times, as I'm sure many of you do as well. But it's not the end of the story. I'm getting excited already. I mean, we've got to my notes yet. So, you know, this, this is it, isn't it? I had a wonderful experience this week and I won't bring the full story of it, but uh, one of my daughters brought me a real treat. And uh, some of you might have been there, I didn't see you there, but um, it's at the Glyndebourne Opera Company, who I'm sure some of you have heard of, did a one-off performance in the Theatre Royal of Hans Messiah. Um, and she brought me, she told me it was the best, I saw her yesterday, I said they were wonderful seats, Hannah, and she said they were the best ones. And we were right there at the front and there was the choir and the singers and 
And we had his Messiah as well. But the thing that excited me was that here's all these people. I don't know their backgrounds. I don't know where they're from. But they're listening to the word of God. Yeah. And hey, my Bible says God's word never returns void. So I'm in there. I'm being blessed by it for all the memories that it brings to me. But it's the fact that truth is being proclaimed. And I loved it. Yes, and I stood up for the Hallelujah Chorus as about 50% 50 of the other people did as well. Oh, it would have been wonderful if somebody could have just gone on afterwards and said, if anybody needs to know Jesus, come forward and be prayed for. But you see, there's something about these things and there's something about the order in which we live our lives and something about the sequence of events that sometimes become so familiar to us that we can forget what the spiritual content is that Jesus wants to constantly ignite in our hearts. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, which is part of the Lord's Prayer, and it's a bit that I want to just share with you today in a specific way, uh, a way in which has only really come to real life in me in the last couple of years, certainly within the lockdown period, where Jesus says, when you pray, pray this, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's this one particular part of that phrase I want to emphasize as we share together this morning. Thy kingdom come. Now, what do we mean by that? And uh, what does it mean within the context, not only of our prayer life, but in the way that we live? going to do it in a specific way that I hope will help you to remember. And um, it, it, it's within the context of understanding that the kingdom of God is past, present, and future. That needs to be the first thing that you need to grasp fully. I don't mean in here, I mean in here. It's a big, you know, somebody once said, I can't remember who it was, that the longest journey that has ever taken is the journey from here to here. You know, there's lots of us, you might not be included in this, you know, have lots of information about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian, and part of a church and all that sort of thing. I've got it up here, but God still, after 74 years, well, not 74 years of Christian, over 40 years of Christian, trying to get it down here to make me a little <coughs> bit more perhaps like Jesus. And I'm sure he's doing that for you too. I want to read to us from Matthew 24. So hold in your mind that we're thinking of past, present, and future. And I want to read some words from Matthew 24, and uh, because the emphasis I want to bring is what I, I consider to be, and I want to be careful how I say this, the, a missing message from the church, in my opinion. We don't hear enough about this, and I believe that in one sense, because we don't hear enough about it, it has a, a dampening effect on how we sense as individuals and as churches, we look at the world outside of us, particularly those who've not yet come to faith in Jesus. So that's the journey that I'm on uh, this morning. Matthew 24 and I'm reading from the first verse, okay? Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? 
Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom <clears throat> against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will arise and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. <coughs> Wonderful words are repeated also in, in Luke's gospel in a slightly different way, but basically Jesus is saying, and this is truthfully, I think something we need to get in our minds, is that God sees ahead the plan. You know, it says in Isaiah, doesn't it, that God calls things that will be those things that have not yet happened. In other words, he sees what's going to happen. He doesn't make them happen, but he sees what will happen because of the journey that the peoples of the earth are upon. And uh, it's a wonderful thing that uh, this thing, I, I'm really, I'm, I, who's excited about getting to heaven? <laughs> well, I, I, has any, are you like me? Have you got a lot of questions that you want to ask a lot of the people out there? I have. You know, and one of the things that is always a bit of a debate that I'm really looking forward to sorting out in heaven, uh, and I'm going to talk to, to Charles Spurgeon, you know Charles Spurgeon, he, he's written the most wonderful sermon I've ever read, if you ever get, it's on the internet, um, of what the balance between free will and predestination. <laughs> I can see some of you almost going, you know, oh, he's not going to go down that route. No, I'm not going to go down that route. But it's divided Christians for centuries. I've been in meetings, you know, home group meetings, and you get one person on one side and one on the other side, and you go, this is going to get a little bit tense. Free will, predestination. Charles Spurgeon, if you go on the internet, Google it, you'll get it. And he does the most wonderful sermon where he shows us, and I think this is so exciting, is how there are two parallel lines that God uses to let his purposes come forth in the earth. And when we're in heaven, we'll see how the two amalgamate. Isn't that wonderful? So if you're a free willer, you're wrong. If you're a predestination person, you're wrong. You've got to be both of them, right? And understand that God is using it in that way. Thy kingdom come. Well, we know within the context of uh, Jesus' life and ministry, the kingdom was there. 
Uh, you see it in the beginning of Mark's gospel and various other places as well. When Jesus came, he came and pronounced the kingdom. He came to preach the kingdom. He came to live out the purposes of the kingdom. He came to show us what living in kingdom life was about. And that's why we have such wonderful stories in the gospels, not only of the teaching of Jesus, but the signs and wonders of Jesus. Hey, signs and wonders are evidence of the kingdom. It's there in the life of Jesus. And we see it there, we record it, we, we, in the Gospels, we read it, we teach our children about it. We love to tell them the story of the 5,000 that are walking on the water, the people who have been delivered and the people who have healed. And one of the things that sometimes we don't emphasize as we should, in my opinion, you may disagree with me, but uh, I know, well, there you go, you might disagree with me. You know, it's this, we don't always tell them, and Jesus wants to do this now. Because my Bible says in Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the evidence of his life through his yielded people is the evidence of that kingdom, past. It's there. And one of the things I want to say to you, and I'm not going to emphasize this anymore, is this, that we mustn't just, in our sharing with one another, in our sharing with young people, uh, designate the truths of scripture and certainly the signs and wonders that we see in the gospels as things of the past jesus is the same he said greater things would you do the end of matthew's gospel end of mark's gospel go out make disciples pray for the sick lay your hands on the sick and they will recover oh i know that we don't always see it in the measure that we want to see. And that's another subject, but it should never, ever stop us from praying, laying hands on people, believing that they will be healed. <laughs> knowing, knowing it's not us that heals them, it's him that heals them. So once we've prayed for people and whatever it might be in circumstances, deliverance and I mean, you know people as well as I know people who desperately need deliverance in a world where people are so torn by the enemy. I mean, you must know people of all ages who are being tormented by the enemy. They need deliverance. And where are they going to get it from? From the people who believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who in the past showed us that God wants them to be delivered and that today he is still as powerful. So number one is that we see the evidence of the kingdom in the past. I've already linked into it now, haven't I? Because I've already said to you, not only is it in the past, but we there as God's people need to bring it into the present. Now, challenge you. Okay, and I'm sure that, that many of you will be able to give me a testimony on this. If we had time for this, you can tell me afterwards. I'd be delighted to hear it. Where within the context of the last week, and uh, Pam shared her testimony, in a sense, it's part of that, isn't it? Where in the, your life this week, within the context of your family, your friends, where you have been, have somehow or other, you evidenced to people the presence of the kingdom. Because it isn't in the past, words. it's in the present. And we have to evidence it in our lifestyle. 
We sung that last song on there that God has brought us out of darkness into semi-darkness. Oh, no, I got that wrong. He's brought us out of darkness into, no, a little bit of candlelight. No, what does it say? Light. I ask you, I challenge you, as I challenge myself this week, okay? Where within the last week have you actually brought light into a situation rather than just being enveloped in the darkness that surrounds you? And it's important that we understand this. You know, I had a, a very simple little thing. I, I just, when I was sitting there, thinking, Lord, what, as we sung that song, where was that for me this week? I just remembered what happened. It's something that happened, I'd completely forgotten. I, I had a meet, two meetings actually in London this week to do with the mission that I'm involved in. And uh, because of all sorts of circumstances, we met in a restaurant, right? And the restaurant is a wonderful place to witness it, isn't it, really? There were six men. I mean, that's not the good word against women. It just happened to be six men, okay? And uh, the woman came along and we'd, we'd ordered, we'd start the conversation. It was a meeting, it was sort of an informal but important meeting that we had. Uh, everybody, which, everybody had been served, but my salmon was obviously hard to catch. <laughs> because there were five of us and they were sitting there and come. So uh, um, uh, I, I just said, oh, oh, I said, you start, yours is getting cold. So uh, I, we just, as we do sometimes, join hands together, men joining hands publicly, a bit dodgy, isn't it, you know? <laughs> and we pray, you know? And I asked the guy, who was a lovely Pakistani guy to pray for us, who, uh, who was there. As we were praying, my salmon arrived. <laughs> Couldn't you believe that? Very inconvenient. You know, and, and the woman said, excuse me, sir, I just looked at her and I said, can we just finish? And she stood there. I said, it's important for us to give thanks to God. You know. Now, it may not mean anything to her, like Pam. We don't know what God will use with it. She might think they're a cookie lot of men. Look at them all holding hands. And my <laughs> gosh, look at how they hug one another when they live. Darkness is what the world lives in. The light will not come unless we present it. And that's the present kingdom in which we need to live. And I want to encourage you, if it's happened in this past week, praise God that he gave you the opportunity to do it. But more than that, as we enter into next week, not just because it's Advent, but because it's the truth, look for those opportunities that God will give you where you can present light into darkness. It might be through words, it might be through actions, who knows? what it might be, but present the light of the kingdom because it's there now for us to live and the church should be showing it above everything else in the days and ages in which we are living. But what I really want to emphasize this morning is this area which is so often forgotten, come back to the moment, yeah. and it's this, what about the kingdom future? Because when we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, I believe there is sort of for many of us an acknowledgement, number one, that it's in the past, Jesus lived that out. Number two, we do understand that we're living in the deposit of that kingdom now and we need to represent it. But what about the truth that is there through scripture, Matthew 24, many other places in scripture that talks about the kingdom that is to come. 
And why I want to emphasize this today is because I believe it's been, when I say a lost message, that, that doesn't really know what I mean. It's not been emphasized, in my opinion, as much as it should be. And it will become apparent to you as I uh, share, I, I hope, what I mean by that. So, in a sense, the theological term that will cover what I want to talk about for the next few minutes is this. It's a big word, take a big breath in, eschatology. All right, the understanding of the end times, the understanding of how God's kingdom is going to permeate every part of our life down here on earth and ultimately will not be just something that is uh, seen within the spiritual context, but it will be a reality here on earth. It's a huge subject. Here we go again. It's a subject that's divided people over the years, and I understand that, okay? And if your view is not the same as mine, I'm sorry about that. I'm not going to go into detail about it. Too many people over too many centuries have tried to pinpoint things in a way that have not necessarily been helpful. And I think as a result of that, the church has rather blanked off eschatology. It is blanked off that there is a plan that is going to be fulfilled, that it is going to happen irrespective of where we may be going. My, my, one of my study Bibles I've got, and I looked at it when I was preparing, and uh, it tries to explain in this study Bible at least eight, the eight most popular theories. It doesn't mean that there is not any more. The eight most popular theories concerning the last times and Jesus' second coming, right? So accept the fact for me right now, many different opinions. But what I think is key for us is to grasp the main principles of it. And that's where I believe the church has not always done this. For me, it's no wonder that uh, Christians can be confused. When we think about thy kingdom coming, there been so many different ideas about it that it's put people off even studying it. It says this in, uh, in, um, um, in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We've got to be a people who are looking forward to the blessed hope of the fact that he's got a plan. I mean, I'm slightly changing the scripture there. Yes, the blessed hope is he's appearing and he's coming. But the thing I want you to grasp is there's a plan. We look into our world, even in the context of what we hear in the last couple of days about COVID and another variant and all this sort of thing. Folks, it's a fallen world, okay? And it's not going to be put right until Jesus returns, right? So there are going to be things that are difficult for us to grasp, but our blessed hope is he's got a plan. There is a purpose in it, and in that, we can take confidence. In, in the 1 Thessalonians 5.11, I'm struggling with the sun here. Wonderful. I'm not going to put the sun away. It was better than the sleep we drove there, but there you go. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says that we should encourage and comfort one another 
in the knowledge is that he's got a plan. Now, most theologians, and I've, I've read around this, some to just leave it alone because it's, uh, it's just a subject people don't want to touch. But most theologians who look into the last times are sure of three things, right? And these three things are, and listen to me carefully, number one, the rapture of the church. Notice I haven't said when, but the, the, the fact that they're convinced of is that the church, God's surrendered people, will be raptured, taken, caught away to be with him, okay? The second thing is that at some point around that time, this world is going to go through a period of dreadful, awful tribulation. Okay? I'll tell you what I think about these things in a moment or two, but these are the things that we haven't talked about in church that we need to talk about. Number three, as a separate event, clearly seen in scripture, is the second coming of Christ to earth. It's different to the rapture. When you read and understand what it says about the rapture, Jesus' feet in the rapture do not touch the earth. It's us that are caught up to be with him. The second coming, which is at the end of this awful period of tribulation, if, didn't, if Jesus didn't come in that manner at the second coming, uh, well, the world would be totally destroyed. But the second coming is when he comes down and his feet will once again walk on the Mount of Olives. And those who are opposed to God will be dealt with. And the wonderful thing about the second coming is this. Well, there's all sorts of things about it which are all wonderful. Is that those who have been raptured with him previously will then come back with him to the Mount of Olives and we will rule and reign for him for a thousand years. Now, quite what that means, speculation, all sorts of things, I'll leave it with him. You know, what he puts you in charge of would be what he puts you in charge of, all right? And uh, you might not like it, well, you would like it because you'll know it's perfect for you at that time. But those three things are important. And why do I share it with you this morning within the context of thy kingdom come? It's because it is the ultimate plan of God that this earth in which we live, when his kingdom comes and is ruling and reigning in the millennium period, all sickness, this is where Revelation 21 comes into force, all sickness, all death, all wars, all fightings, and all these things will never more appear on earth because he will be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. Have you got me? So get it in your minds. Now, let me move a little bit. And, and uh, again, I, you might have your own opinion. My, my um, plan within the context of what I felt God put in my heart is not to persuade you to believe what I believe, but to understand the core principle, because that's what changes your life. And I'll share that with why I think that in a moment or two. All right. The core thing is this. Number one, are you absolutely assured that you will be raptured when he comes? I personally believe, this is my personal belief, because of scripture, 
is that the rapture will take place before the tribulation. I do not believe uh, that we as God's saints will go through the tribulation. That's my belief. Uh, Paul says that the, one of the reasons that Jesus came is to give us a promise that we will not enter into the same wrath that the, the earth will go through. And it's when the, the, tribute, uh, the, tri the rapture takes place and we are with him that the Antichrist and all that you see within the context of Revelation, I'll say something about that in a moment, will begin to take place. And it's not for God's people. We will be in heaven, I believe, with him, enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Lamb. I love lamb. Okay. No, no, no. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be good, whatever it is. Okay. One of the things that's come plain to me in a way that I have never seen it ever before in the whole of my life, and certainly within my time of ministry, is this. The only way to understand Revelation is to understand that from chapter 6 through to chapter 19 is all about the tribulation. And within that context, the church is not mentioned anywhere in those uh, chapters. It's to do what happens with the seven-year period. I personally believe, the same as I believe, it's no problem to God to create the world in seven days. My God can do anything. But whether it happened like that... I'm a, the point is, I believe he could do it. So within the context of my understanding of scripture, if the Bible says seven years, seven years is okay with me. And within the context of the journey of the earth that I will not be in because I shall be raptured, right? The journey of the earth is over a seven-year period, and it is awful. Now, this is you've got to grasp this. Why am I sharing this? Because this is part of our motivation as Christians. If you really believe what the Bible says between Revelation 6 and Revelation 19 concerning what's going to happen here on earth to do with the Antichrist, to do with wars, to do with all the, the, the horrors as evil is totally let loose on our earth, on our earth at that period of time, you will not want anybody that you know or love to go through it. What does the church need to grasp? We've got to get up there and save people. We've got to deliver the truth. We've got to share the good news. Because if people are rejecting the truth concerning Jesus, and they are not taken up to be with him and raptured because they have come to that point of total surrender to Jesus and making him the Lord of their lives, all they have to look forward to, according to scripture, is the awfulness of the tribulation now i'm not going to do a whole teaching on that now but within the context of the tribulation there will be people who will be saved there will be but it's going to be pretty awful for them in fact revelation tells you that many of them will be persecuted tortured beheaded for the faith because evil will be absolutely rampant upon her you see it says in thessalonians that before that moment comes, this is another evidence for me of the fact that the church will be raptured, is that the restrainer will be removed. You'll find that in Thessalonians. Okay. What is the restrainer? What is holding back evil in our world at the moment? Yes, ultimately it's God and his perfect power and timing, but it's God through his church, the spirit-filled people of God, 
for saying, no, we're standing against injustice. We're seeking to do this. We're showing people the light so that they can move from darkness into light. But when the restrainer is removed, the church raptured, all evil will be let loose. That's what scripture says. So when you pray, your kingdom come, you're actually saying, Lord, I trust you with your plan. I trust what your word says. And here's one reason why for me personally, I'm, I'm standing on this more than I've ever stood before. Did you know that there are over 350 prophecies in the Old Testament that were totally fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus? They spoke it from God and it happened. It's trustworthy. There are countless places in the New Testament particularly, but also in the Old Testament <coughs> that talk about the second coming and the coming of the kingdom. We can't, mytho I can't use this word, uh, mythologically get rid of them. We can't just explain them away with human understanding. We have to accept them as the word of God. And again, for me personally, in these last uh, nearly couple of years now, I suppose it is, I've come to a place where I once again have said to the Lord, Lord, if it's in your word, I believe it. I may not understand it fully yet, but I believe it. And my, my belief is, and I've seen this with so many people over the years, it'd be true of me, that once we start to believe God's word and live it, we then begin to get the understanding of it. If we say we want the understanding before we believe it, generally speaking, God just lets us wallow in that place of misunderstanding. So, dear friends, as we move towards a conclusion this morning, what I've shared with you is not to frighten you. It's to excite you. Number one, you have a reason to wake up and open your eyes every morning. Who can I talk to today? Whose kind of life can I share with today? Where can I bring light into darkness today? Because I know not when. Notice I've not given any times or dates. He could come and we could be raptured tonight. But I have to plan and believe and look at my life as if it's still some years away. Because that's the motivation to be filled with his spirit, to be a witness to all nations. Because the Bible says quite clearly, I read it deliberately in verse 14 there, that the nations of the world, remember that's not physical nations like uh, England or France or Germany. Nations there is the word, is the word ethos, which actually means ethnos, sorry, which is the word for people's groups. People with their own language, people with their own culture, who are need to know the truth about Jesus. That's what that word actually means there. And I know because of the world that I'm involved in that there are still nearly 7,000 ethnos groups in the world who have never heard the scriptures once. Some of you will have heard of the Joshua Project, great organization, they collect information. The, the, the current calculation is that there's 17,000 people groups in the world. And of that 17,000 groups, 7,000 have never heard the gospel once. 
That's why I'm involved with World Outreach, which is a specific ministry to reach the unreached people's groups. And uh, according to Matthew 24, 14, until they've had the opportunity to respond, notice it doesn't actually say that they're going to become Christians, but they have to have the opportunity to respond to Jesus. The end can't come. So, where does that leave you and me within the context of this Advent Sunday? Where does it leave you and me within the context of the truth that uh, we are to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? Three things I want to just challenge you with, only you can respond to this. Have you got an overwhelming passion for him? Now, I'm not talking about superficial passion. I'm not talking about a passion which gets us excited when we have our favorite worship song. Good as that is, I'm the same as that, you know. There are some songs that push my buttons, others that grow. You know, I got my buttons pushed in the theater royal, spiritually listening to the Messiah. Okay, I wanted to preach for everybody who was there. But the point is this, if you are passionate for him, you will say yes to him and live a life of obedience, whatever that costs you. Can that be said? of your life? Can that be said of your witness for him, the one who is coming again and who has a plan for the end times? Number two, is that replicated within the passion of the prayers that you have for the unsaved? Both the unsaved that you know, could be in your family, could be your neighborhood, your friends, it could, well, could be anyone who you know is not yet in God's kingdom as far as we can tell. I was asked to do a funeral just a few weeks ago of a person who, as far as we know, certainly by his lifestyle, his language, everything that we knew about him, it was not possible to say he's with the Lord. That's heartbreaking, isn't it? People who asked me to do it, part of his family, they were Christians. And there's so much of silly thinking that goes on in sometimes what we do as the church. We assume people are going to be in heaven. We talk about people in heaven. But folks, my Bible says there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the light, isn't he? Uh, in, um, within John 14. And we need to be a people who are constantly bringing that light into people's life. How is that reflected in your prayers? How passionate are we? And I'm, I'm, I'm calling myself in this. How passionate are we concerning praying people into the kingdom? God looks for the passionate prayers of his people. And number three, within that passion and within that praying, is that replicated in the pattern of your daily life? Are you somebody who truly does say, within the context of uh, your life, I will occupy the things of his kingdom until he comes? You know, there's, there's two, two lovely parables that are very similar, actually. Uh, the parables of the talents, where Jesus uh, talks about giving 10 pounds to three people and they have to go away and do something with it. And the instruction is, occupy until I come. 
And I look back over my life and I'm sure you can over yours and think, my goodness, I've occupied my life with a lot of things, but I'm not sure that all of them have been within his kingdom purposes. Some of them are more for my pleasure and delight. Now, that doesn't mean to say that God doesn't want us to enjoy life. Of course he does. Life with him is life full of abundance. But at the heart of it all needs to be the knowledge of his plan, his purposes, and his love that none should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of the truth. How will they hear? They won't, unless somebody tells them. Who's going to tell them? Who's going to tell them? I want all the people that I know and love to be with the Lord in heaven. I don't want them to suffer here on earth when the evil one, the devil, is let loose. What about you? I want us all to be enjoying the millennium kingdom under his lordship. <clears throat> it's our responsibility, dear friends. Advent comes. We pray, thy kingdom come. Past, yet you've seen it. Present, I hope you're living in it. Motivation, man, there's something wonderful that's up ahead. It is for all who will embrace it. Let's pray together. <coughs> Father, Lord, it may appear that uh, what I've just shared in these last 10, 15 minutes has been a little bit heavy. I don't believe it is your intention, Lord, that we should feel heavy about that. I believe that we should be, be excited, that we should be motivated, that we should understand, Lord, that every person who's still breathing on the face of this earth still is somebody that you can not only fill with your life, but fill with your spirit and empower to be a witness of light and truth in a world that is getting increasingly dark. Father, your heart is clear. We see it in the life of Jesus. Truly, you want all to come to his feet and to acknowledge him and to live their lives under his lordship. So, Lord, help us not to feel fearful. Help us to be excited. Help us, Lord, to say to you again, Lord, every part of my life, every breath that I breathe, every word that I speak, Lord, we want it to be of you, that somehow or other, within the context of our daily experience, we may be people who bring light into darkness mm -hmm. and show a different way to people. So, Lord, we make that declaration to you again. You know the hearts of those people in front of me now, Lord. You know where we are. You know our skepticism. You know where we're not sure about things. Lord, wherever it is, bring your Holy Spirit to witness within us that at least there is a plan and the plan is clear in your word and that we can stand on it when we live for you 100%. And Lord, I just feel in my spirit just to say, Lord, within the context of this group here, Lord, there will be people now whose names we can have in our hearts and our minds who are not yet saved. There are people, Lord, maybe in our families. There may be people on our roads or our streets or our workplace. And we want to say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we are available to you. 
Fill us so, Lord, with the light and the power of your Holy Spirit. There will be something about the way that we are as your people that will provoke these people to ask, to be open to what you would want to show them in their hearts concerning the love of God in Jesus Christ. Help us to be bold, Lord. Help us not to worry about what we would say, but to know that when the moment comes, you will put the words in our mouth. You will put the actions in our hearts, Lord, that will, will reveal to them that they are loved by God and that he calls them into a personal relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Lord, over this special period of the year in Advent, where perhaps there's more opportunities to do this than ever before. We pray, Lord, that you will open up conversations. You will open up opportunities. You will open the door, Lord, that we will recognize and we will be able to walk through and boldly say with loving hearts, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And he wants to come into your life. And this is what he means to all who receive. So give us boldness in witness, Lord. We love you. Forgive us when we've missed it. But give us yet another chance, Lord, to say to the world, Jesus is the light of God. Emmanuel. God is with us. Thank you, Lord. Our confidence is in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.